Now, never have I asked any congregation to take their phones out while I'm speaking. Now, it may be far more interesting for you to look something up than listening to me, but what I'm going to ask you to do, and I'm not real great with technology, everybody get their phone out if you have one, and you've got a QR code here, put it up there, and take this evangelism quiz. It only takes three minutes, and it just kind of shows us where we are, all of us are on our journey in this world of evangelism and trying to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, you don't have to take the quiz right now, but you'll have it. If you're really bored in the message, go ahead and take the quiz while I'm speaking, okay? <laughs> and so hopefully uh, everybody was able to get that. If you have any trouble, just see me kind of afterwards. The title of the sermon is called Beats in the Night. Now maybe this will make a little bit more sense as I go on. Uh, but let me just kind of illustrate it. Have you ever been uh, asleep uh, in your bed at night, and all of a sudden, as you're sitting there, you hear, beep? So, so I think I heard something. Maybe about two or three minutes later, beep? You think, wait a minute, this smoke alarm but I can't figure out which one it is. Don't you? That, that's so frustrating. Beep. So you go, so it has interrupted your sleep, kind of jolted you, and now you're on the search for finding where this beep is coming from. And so after a diligent search, you finally find it, you replace the battery, and we all lived happily ever after. This will make a little bit more sense as we go on in the message called beeps in the night but spread truth and christine you probably remember this we used to produce a little track called is there more to life um a question that i think everybody probably sometime in their life thinks about especially if you're a person that thinks listen if i can just get this then i'll fully finally be fulfilled i'll be satisfied but when you get it it doesn't satisfy. And when you get what you think is utopia and that doesn't satisfy, real discouragement and depression sets in. So the, today is Super Bowl Sunday, right? So Tom Brady, uh, after winning seven Super Bowls, said this. He's on 60 Minutes. And he's just 27 years old, being interviewed, and said... Um, he said to the interviewer, man, there's got to be more life than this after winning all these Super Bowls. The interviewer said to him, well, what do you think, Tom? What do you think? There is, he says, listen, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Is there more to life? Life raises such questions to all of us at some point and certain experience, at some point, and certain experiences break, beep, into our lives. That spur us to question whether our answers are deep enough, prompting a search for what we sense is missing, an enable sense of something more. Your community, your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, 
they're processing questions like that. Man, is this all there is to life? And you can be assured that a God who loves people, who cares about it, and who is on the move, is sending signals. Or what Oz Guinness, I'm going to lean on him a lot in this message. I don't think I've ever had an original thought, I don't think. But, but these signals of what we call transcendence or beeps, he is sending and he has always sent to people's lives. Did that beat jolts them just for a moment? It punctures their worldview just for a moment. And it points in a certain direction. Now, what do these beeps or signals do? I said, yeah, they kind of jolt, you know, because we all kind of get all kind of taken up in the mundane of life. Everyone does. And as secularism has taken over America, they think there's probably no supernatural. And so they live nine to five. Nothing exists outside the five senses. And uh, so they're just kind of caught up in just life. Then all of a sudden, something happens. Beep. A signal comes that jolts them for a moment. They think, huh. Maybe what I've believed thus far, maybe my worldview thus far, maybe it's not valid and it then points to something. Hey, not long ago, uh, you're watching Monday Night Football. I think it's Monday Night Football. Maybe it was Sunday Night Football. Cincinnati Stadium. And all of a sudden, DeMar Hamlin, the cornerback of the Buffalo Bills, boom, drops on the ground. Silence in the stadium. What are people doing on the sidelines? They're gathering to do what? They're gathering to pray. Beep. Announcers on the, the TV, sports announcers, are taking time. This has never happened. I've ever seen. They took time to pray on the air for DeMar Hamlin. At that moment, football didn't seem that important, did it? At that moment, you understood that life is brief. That we're not necessarily guaranteed tomorrow. And throughout the football world, everybody paused for a moment. They were jolted for a moment. A signal came that life is brief. And if you could have heard the words of Josh Allen afterward about spiritually what that did to him. Because it punctured his viewpoint. It jolted him. But it then pointed. Read what Josh Allen had to say. See, that's what a signal does, that God who is on the move is constantly sending signals or beeps into people's lives to, to jolt them just for a moment and point them. Now, the signal or the beep isn't the answer because they've got to go on the search. They have to go on the search themselves. You've probably had it. Happened to you if you look back and go, oh yeah, I wonder that that happened or oh, why did this happen and this happen? So God that cares and is loves, who's got the very hairs of your head numbered, who cares about the world, is sending signals or beeps into people's lives to hopefully that it will jolt them, it will point them in the right direction, and then they would become a seeker. Now, not, not everybody does that. 
Some people, these signals have come, and guess what? They've just missed them completely. They've paid no attention. They're just involved in life. and doesn't matter. For some people, boom, it hits them. And it's not till years later that they actually become a seeker. And they trust Christ. Uh, Malcolm Muggeridge, famous British journalist, a man who was very liberal in his, in his philosophy. Uh, he was drawn to communism. In fact, he and his um, family had moved to, to Russia to, to, to live under Stalin and became very disillusioned with what communism really was. He went to Cambridge, became very disillusioned with education. He thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll enter uh, the service. And so he entered um, the service and worked for the British in East Africa as a spy and doing some intelligence. And he became very, very depressed. Didn't know God, didn't know anything about him. And then all of a sudden, he says, you know what? I'm going to end my life. Life has no meaning. Life is absurd. He says, but I got to do it in such a way that my family's not embarrassed. He said, what I'll do, I'm going to go down to the coast here, take my clothes off, and I'm going to swim out into the ocean. I'm going to drown. As he swam out in the ocean, he happened to turn back and look back at the shore, and there happens to be the lights of the cafe on the shoreline. And he said it reminded him of home and the sense of belonging. Where did that come from? Those feelings, those emotions, the idea of home, the idea of belonging. He had to find the source. It was like a light had come to him just at that moment of understanding. And in time, years later, he ended up following, but he ties it back to that experience, that moment when something happened. Signals or beeps of, uh, in the night come in just a variety of ways. They can be things sometimes that are absolutely beautiful. Um, going down to Florida on vacation sometimes, wherever you may be going, and you go out there at sunset or maybe at sunrise, you see people, what they're often doing is taking pictures there of the sunset or the sunrise in a moment of beauty. It can happen that maybe there's something more here than what I'm realizing. Beeps can come through beauty. I, I think of New York City, and I know I'm a crazy guy when it comes to New York. But there's something happens when I walk into a play, or I'm in a good movie, or you're in a good book. I've seen Beauty and the Beast five times. That doesn't show my manliness, I guess. I'm, I'm kind of finding my, my feminine side here. But you know how it is at the end of that play. Tale as old as time, da 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 da, beauty and the and the audience erupts, erupts. Something happens to you at that moment that that's the way, and you can't even explain it. As Lewis says, it's the desirable ache on the inside, like oh, 
You're in that book and you never want to come out of it. It's just there. Lewis says, no, Paul, um, Randy Newman in his book, Mere Evangelism, says this. People feel it when they see something beautiful or hear a piece of music that transports them into another world. You ever watch these people at a concert and they're just going crazy? Man, like, what in the world? They're just like on another planet. There's something about a concert. It's just like, yes. And people, unfortunately, live for that to bring them to the next concert, to the next concert. Randy says they get a hint of it when they read a good book that makes them want to jump into it and never return. Listen to this. We usually notice it when it goes away. But Lewis says it's not in these things, not in them that the joy came. And would C.S. Lewis think about him? What was the signal for him? Folks, he was an atheist. He was an atheist. And he was good friends with J.R.R. Tolkien. And it was Lewis's love of fairy tales. Of resolution and the beauty of a fairy tale that drew him. That there must be something more. His autobiography is called Surprised by Joy. And when he saw the beauty of a little bush here, there's something that happened in him that moved him at that moment. Beep. And because of the beauty of that bush or because of that fairy tale, something happened. It jolted him. He said, maybe there's something more. He says, but it wasn't in those things that the joy came. It was through them. It was through them. Because if you think that it's going to be in them, they become dumb idols. And don't we have that in our culture today? And so signals or beeps can come through beauty and through wonder. Or maybe they come through something kind of tragic, like a Damar Harlan. It just sets you back just for a moment. I said I lean heavily upon Oz Guinness here, but his wife... Jenny Guinness, before they were married, was once a great model that traveled all over the United States and all over Europe and on the cover of many, many magazines. She didn't know God. She didn't have an interest in God. And so she was hanging around the big, big people, Duke and Duchess of Windsor. They're going to be at this party. She's engaged now. She's going to Paris, and she's going to Salvador Dali's big party at his apartment there in Paris. She has no interest at all in spiritual things, but God's on the move. And she walks in there, and she notices everybody at the party is decked out in these kind of Indian kind of type of costumes. Everybody is just all decked out in these crazy costumes. And she sees Salvador Dali walking around the head of the party with a pet cheetah on a leash. But the pet cheetah had been defanged and had been declawed. At that moment, beep, it took her back when she saw it. How absurd that was. And then she thought, That 
cheetah is just a caricature of what it was created to be. But then she looked around and she says, so are we. She says, there's got to be more to life. She said to God, I don't know if you exist. And I can't find you. But if you do exist, will you find me? And God's on the move. She goes back to New York, living in an apartment. Her mother comes to see her. Her mother said, hey, listen, these people from Seattle, Washington are in town. and They want to come by and visit. Do you mind if they come by? Jenny said, yeah. They come by. And as any good mother would do, they, she gets out Jenny's portfolio of all of her magazine covers. And as the couple's going through it, there's a big gasp. And Jenny goes, why'd you gasp? I said, well, ma'am, six months ago, we're in Seattle, Washington, on our way to a Bible study. And I happen to go through the supermarket, and as I'm in line, I see your cover on that magazine. And I said, we need to pray for that girl to come to know Christ. Beep. And now Jenny has been the lifelong partner of Oz Guinness, the world-famous philosopher and theologian. But what was the beep she would say in her life, the signal, the signal from God? It was a cheetah that jolted her in the moment. Beeps or signals can come through beauty. They can come with what you think is ordinary events in life. It can come through something you see is so beautiful that there's got to be more or so evil that there has to be more. W.H. Auden, a liberal poet from Britain, didn't believe in any type of absolutes, as liberal as you could get. He's now living in New York City in the 30s, and he happens to be up on the Upper East Side there in Yorkshire Theater because... In those days, you didn't have TV like we have today. And so if there's going to be any documentary on the war, it would be in the theaters. It would show the documentary. And so he walks in. And it happened to be in the German section of, of New York City. And so when he walks in, he's sitting there's a documentary of Hitler in 1939 invading Poland. And as they were bayoneting women and children... The people in that audience were standing up going, yeah, get them. And W.H. Auden was appalled. And though he believed in no absolutes at that point, you can do whatever you want to, he knew that there had to be some type of unconditional absolute that could say that what Hitler was doing was absolutely evil. And he walked in, out of that theater and ran smack into Jesus. The beep can come through beauty. It can come through evil. It can come through in a variety of different normal, ordinary stuff. But God is constantly, because he cares, and because he's not very far away from people, he's constantly sending signals that many times they may miss. You know why we miss them? Maybe you miss them. Maybe I miss them. Maybe the world miss Because they're distracted. 
He's just distracted with life. Just going through the normal routines. It's like what they call Plato's cave, that illustration. Plato, in Plato's cave, you got five men that are prisoners. And they're prisoners in a cave. And the only reality they know of inside that cave is them sitting there chained and they see the shadows on the wall in front of them from the fire behind them. That's the only reality they know. And they just think this is life. This is just how it has to be until one escapes. And he sees outside your sunshine. There's warmth. And there's beauty. And he runs in and tells the other guys, you won't believe what's out. And they're incredulous with him. You've got to be kidding. There can't be anything like that out there. And the point of the illustration is people are living in the cave thinking there's no supernatural that's out there. And folks, we've got to get them out of the cave to see, guess what? Something big is going on. And something has already happened in their life that probably is of divine, that God has signaled to them. They may not call it that. They may not know how to quite explain it, but something has happened. This may happen to you. And so we then have the responsibility then to come alongside these people to show where that signal or beep is pointing to and take them there. Now, open your Bibles to Acts 17. Now, I wish I could spend a long time in this passage here. In Acts 17, the Apostle Paul is by himself. He has left his missionary buddies, and he's in a big city by himself. And the city is full of idols. In fact, they said in Athens at this time, there happened to be probably more idols than there actually were people. It was filled with idols. The Apostle Paul walks in there, and the Bible says that he first went into the synagogue, but then he walked into the marketplace which would be called the Agora, and he talked to whomever happened to be there. Hey, that is just an invitation to go to New York City. He went into the public square and just talked to whomever happened to be there. That's what we do. And then he's going to debate a little bit with the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. And then all of a sudden, he's going to stand up and he's going to give a sermon. Now, in this passage here, this sermon's only like eight or nine or 10 verses long, but really it's probably a much longer sermon. This is just kind of a, just a, a you know, a, a kind of an outline of what he said. But notice, now, now understand this. Has God sent any beeps yet to these people? Has he sent any signals to them that they can't quite figure out? And is Paul then going to tell, show them where that points to? You all remember that as he's walking around, he sees an idol called to what? The un known God. Beep. Now understand here, the reason that idol is there to the unknown God is six centuries prior to Christ here. Six centuries prior, there had been a terrible plague, history says, in the town of Athens. And they didn't know how, they thought that the gods were upset with them. 
So they sacrificed to all the different gods, but the plague didn't go away. So they invited someone in to give him some advice, and his name was Epitomes. And Epitomes says, why don't you do this? I don't think the gods are upset at you. These gods that you have in Athens are upset, upset with you. So here's, why don't you do this? Why don't you take a flock of sheep and let them loose? And the sheep that go in, well, some of them will go and graze. And if you happen to have any sheep that go and they actually lie down, if they lie down in this spot right there, make that altar there and sacrifice to the unknown God. And so they let the sheep go. And the sheep went. And some of them laid down. And they built the altar to the unknown God. Guess what happened? The plague went away. Paul's coming along. Hey, gang. You see that unknown? Oh, yeah, we've heard all that story. We've never been able to quite figure that whole thing out. You know, we've searched and we just can't quite figure out what that whole situation was. But we know somehow that plague went away and there was just some known God. We don't, we don't know who this unknown God is, though. We've been sacrificed. Paul said, let me tell you. The God you called unknown, let me show you who he, And he says, the God who created the world. Whoa. And to the city of Athens, beep. Beep. He explained it to them. He pointed to them the right way. Did they receive? Well, we don't know how many did. We know a few at the end of the chapter did. But let me, here I, you know I'm never going to keep up with my. You guys were in crossroads. I never have been able to keep up. Laura said, if I need to lose my Bible, I'll lose my Bible, she'll find it for me because those things. Okay, now listen. So now you see the setting of when he now addresses these people at Athens. He says, for one, from one man, Adam, he has made every nationality. I love that. Every tongue, tribe, and nation of the last days in their own ethnicity, we will all be together. To live over the whole earth. And has determined the appointed times and boundaries of where they live. He says, Athenians, understand the reason you're living at Athens at this time. And in this particular country, in this particular city, is because God has ordained it. He's sovereign over that. So think about your neighborhood. And there's Joe over there. He's from here. There's... You know, these people that are from here, and I guess they moved in last week, understand that God has sovereignly placed every single person in the place they're supposed to be. They may think I'm just here by my own initiative. God's sovereign. He says to the people of Athens, he has determined of the place and time of where you are to live. Now, why would he do that? Because he's on the move. He did this so that they might seek God. And perhaps reach out and find him, beep. I love this verse. Though he's not far from each one of us. He's there. You often think, well, man, I've just got to. My dad used to say this when going to New York City. He said, Jerry, you know when you go share the gospel? 
Just be assured, Jesus has already been there in our life before you ever got there. We think we got to do the gospel dump. It's all, it's all on me. These people have never heard, you know what I mean? And I got I to gotta give them everything, you know, and, and we're just, we're dumping the whole gospel. I'm not saying sometimes you shouldn't do it, but I'm just going to tell you, he's already been there in that person's life. He's doing something. Maybe they're not cognizant as much as they should. Maybe they've been living in the cave and they haven't been open to it. But he's been doing something to try to catch their attention. He's sending signals and beeps, and that's to your neighborhood. He's sending them. They're there. He's already been there in your neighbor's lives. And the reason that they're living there so they could seek God, and the reason you're living in that neighborhood, okay, let's everybody get on your front porch right now. Your front porch, look around. Look at your neighbors. You may live in the country, so it doesn't apply. But look at your neighborhood. Why are they there? Because God has determined that they should live there so they could seek God. And possibly find him. Because he's not very far away. Then how are they going to be able to hear? He's placed you there. He's placed me there. Man, I've got opportunities. 30 to 40% of my new neighborhood are Hindus. We absolutely love being around internationals. There's very few people like us in our neighborhood there. We love that opportunity. Why are they there? Why is Nassar two doors down, the Muslim who's my best neighbor? Why is he living there? And why are they? Because God has determined it. That they should seek him. And possibly find him, and he's just not very far away. So I'll use Jerry and Jeannie, maybe I'll use some signals and beeps that are behind the scenes. Maybe something beautiful they see. Maybe a tragedy they see on TV. Maybe one like this that we all missed. Remember what happened three years ago, worldwide? What was it? Pandemic. Beep. And what happened? Death was brought close to everybody. You turned your TV on, 300 people died today. 500 people died today. 800 people died today. Everybody was thinking about death, and we usually keep that as far away as we can in our mind. We just keep it away. Now we had to think about it. You thought that when your aunt went into the hospital with the virus, that she, I can't go see her now because they won't let you in and she may never come home. And I bet every single one of you have had people that during that COVID virus that you knew that passed away. It was brought real close to us. And what were we Christians doing? Look at, man, this is what an opportunity to point them to, in the right direction. Man, we were so stinking consumed with, um, with masks. And not taking vaccines. And all, we got caught up in all the issues. And it was a loud signal. A loud beep. Where God was bringing to people's mind that life is brief. And I'm just, I'm not saying you did. I'm just saying Christians in general, from what I was able to perceive, we got caught up in a whole lot of things. And God was sending a worldwide signal. And we missed it. God's on the move. He's not very far from anybody. He'll use yous. He'll use signals. He'll use beeps. He'll do everything. But he's out to reach people with the good news. I'm going to close here. I've already talked about that point. Got a new little booklet out. And this is Sarah. Sarah, you want to wave your hand over there? 
Sarah's the ultimate creative designer over there. She, she works for Spread Truth. Okay. This is in a little booklet that's going to be coming out. It's in digital porn. It's called Everything Will Be Okay. Finding Hope in the Dark. That phrase, everything will be okay. Finding hope in the dark. If you were like me, growing up, not everybody now, so some people haven't had this experience, but most of you have had the experience as a child or you have, as a parent, given that experience to another child. You know how it is at night when your little child is awakened in the dark by a thunderstorm. My wife, Jeannie, she's, I'll say, used to be terrified of thunderstorms. She still may be. She'd run into bed, and her parents would say, Jeannie, cheer up, you saints of God. There's nothing to worry about, nothing to make you feel afraid, nothing to make you doubt. Remember, Jesus never fails, so why not trust him and shout? You'll be sorry you worry at all tomorrow morning. They were saying to you, hey, Jeannie, sweetheart, everything's going to be okay. How about a nightmare? Your little children have a nightmare. They run in there and you say, hey, sweetheart. Or you're holding your little baby and you're crying. Say, hey, it's going to be okay. Or as some children do, when they've experienced rejection. And unfortunately, that happens. Maybe they're the child that wasn't invited to the birthday party and everybody else was. Maybe they weren't picked on the sports team and they were left off to the side. And it's at night usually that children come along and they process these things. And they're troubled. And they run into their parents' bed and, they, and the mom and the dad say, hey, sweetheart, everything's going to be okay. We had a situation one time, one of our grandchildren, something happened, he was super scared. And they called Jeannie Gigi. Run to, hey, Gigi, will you hold my hand? Basically, could tell he could fall asleep. And the assurance of a grandmother holding her grandson's hand saying, listen, everything's going to be okay. Is that a lie? I mean, your children that came in there to seek comfort and you said everything's going to be okay, you're going to die one day. They're going to die one day. Life's going to get tough if you haven't realized that. Life is brutal sometimes. What do you mean? Is, it, is this a lovable, as Guinness says, a lovable lie that we give just to kind of just for the moment for some stability and comfort? Or, or, is it a beep that has been since the beginning of time with parents? I don't care if you lived in the cave in 400 BC or you live in a condominium in Los Angeles. That is echoed to children and grandchildren or an older brother when the marriage is not good to a younger sibling as they hide, are hiding in the uh, closet because parents are arguing. Hey, Sally, everything's going to be okay. It's a lie. But if everybody says that and it comes from the heart, is there something more to this? Is it pointing to a reality that actually does exist? 
in J.R.R. Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings, writer Jennifer Bratton says this, writes about the Lord of the Rings and states, at the end of the return of the king, after the ring is destroyed at Mount Doom, Sam Gangi wakes up surprised to be alive and surprised that Gandalf is also alive. And he says, declares, I thought you were dead, but I thought I was dead myself. Will everything sad become untrue? In this book, she says, Tim Keller writes in The Reason for God, quote, the answer of Christianity to that question is that yes, everything sad is going to come untrue. Now, no, it's kind of hard to believe, and it will be somehow be greater for having been broken and lost. You ever, <laughs> I had one recently. Uh, you ever have one of those dreams? <laughs> it's just bad to make sense, but it's really bad. You know the best feeling in the world is when you wake up and you realize, guess what? It takes you a while to kind of get oriented, but you know, that wasn't true. But it seems so true. I mean, if you had one that your wife died, you'd probably think, man, I love her more now because, man, it, it's not true. The wonderful feeling when you wake up to the dream that the dream wasn't true. But what if the reality of this story is, is that when you do pass from this life to the next life, that everything that has, been, that has happened in your life, in some way that God is able to orchestrate it, will become untrue. What if that's the case? And what if the beep is going out to every parent and grandparent as they comfort children? Hey, it's all going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. It's just a beep that's signaling that that's what they really want. And that's the deepest desire of their heart, but they're not quite sure how that could ever be. But you've got the message that tells them it can be. Dr. Tim Keller, who's one of my heroes, I, I used to quote him at Crossroads. Now, Teller became real popular. He became real popular. He passed away. I said, man, in Crossroads, I used to quote Keller when Keller wasn't cool, okay? But he's now only has a couple of years to live. He's, he had pancre stage four pancreatic cancer and died this past May. And so there were times when he and Kathy would sit down and, you know, they would cry together because he knew they didn't have much time. But Russell Moore was interviewing him. He said, hey, listen, people who have fears and anxieties, could you address them to give them some words of comfort? He said this. Let me just tell you this. He said, if Jesus really rose from the dead, if he really got out of that grave and was seen by hundreds of people, if he really did do that, he says this. Let me tell you, everything is going to be okay. And if you're facing conflict and turmoil, just understand, if he really did, guess what? It's going to be okay. We've all here suffered 
some type of heartache. All of you have. Everybody in this audience has suffered some type of disappointment that didn't work out the way you thought it would work out. Some in here just feel continual guilt on decisions that you've made in the past and it seems to haunt you. We've all had probably moments of embarrassment. <laughs> like, I did something really stupid or my kids. I can't believe they did something like that. We've, can't, I can't, can't we all say we've all been there? What if it's really true? Because of the story that I'm in, the Christian story, that everything's sad and disappointing, embarrassing, and frustrating, and hurtful. Well, one day, he'll take it, and however he is able to work it, will become untrue. And we'll be the better because we went through it. You see, that scripture says he's not very far from any of us. And he's speaking in the bar. Don't put him in a box. There's a mystery. Don't, your, your friends, and maybe you, you're in the cave. And there's life outside the mundane. There's the mysterious of what God is doing. You used to wring your hands. Hey, listen, man, these people have never heard the gospel. Man, we got to get, and I agree, we got to get to the gospel. But how about the Bonduca circles, the person who's never heard? Oh, no, guess what? God can do whatever he wants to do to get their attention. Because he's not very far away from us. So what's our responsibility? Well, uh, well, let me just share this with you. There were some shepherds. In the night, in the dark, and all of a sudden there was a big beep. An angel appears. In that same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over the flock. And then an angel of the Lord appeared before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were just terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you the good news of great joy that will be for all people. What a beep. But you know what they had to do? They had to go into Bethlehem. They had to go on the search to find him. They could have just stayed there. It, I think, punctured their worldview at the moment. And it definitely pointed in the right directions, but those shepherds had to go. And they found and saw the Messiah. You know, that message is saying what? Everything's going to be okay. What's our responsibility? As Oz says, our privilege as Christians by our lives as well as our words are to help people to hear, to listen, and to understand these signals and to help them follow to where they lead. I shared yesterday Isaiah sitting in Washington Square Park, 
None of our team members know him. He's just sitting there contemplating different things, that trying to process if God's real or what he's doing. And all of a sudden, Jeannie and the lady walk by, and we've added a question to our survey along the means of, hey, listen, have you ever sensed something that's kind of divine? You can really can't explain, but something's happening to your life. In a sense, some type of signal. And the guy goes, yeah, just now. They go, what do you mean? Well, I was just asking God if you existed or something to that effect. And then you came up. And Isaiah trusted Christ. That was an immediate signal and an immediate follow. It doesn't always work that way. We just want to encourage you. There'll be a day. When we're in heaven. And there's a huge number of people that the Bible says in Revelation 5 and Revelation 7. So many that you can't even number them. The largest gathering in the world, they say, has been in India. 120,000 people at one time. This gathering here is more than anybody could ever, you could ever number. And uh, it's diverse. It's an international crowd. The people from every tongue, tribe, and nation are going to be there. And when we're here, and when John sees this vision, it's something that he sees that's already happened. So if you're there in Revelation 5 or 7, guess what? He may have seen you there. It's happened. He has a future vision of something that's already happened. And there's millions upon millions upon millions of faces. Some of them you'll know. Some of them you've read about. The woman with the issue of blood. Little short guy named Zacchaeus. The woman at the well. Oh yeah, I heard about you. Millions of faces are going to be there. And when we're there, I can assure you, everything is going to be okay. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. And also the living creatures of the elders, their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. And they said in a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength, honor, glory, and blessing. And after this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language. It's pretty diverse. It's a pretty international crowd. And according to a scholar like Tim Keller, who knows about the future of the, of the growth of the, of the Christian church, he says the Christian church in the future is going to be multi-ethnic. The growth will take place. And guess what? There'll be people in their own ethnicity there with us, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a little voice salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb as they get ready to come up now and sing a song I think about heaven I just want to encourage you first of all no matter what all of us have been through it's in this story the words of you, that you have echoed to your children, everything's going to be okay. The reality of that exists. There's no other story that, I, that you can claim that. 
And I trust maybe that'll help you in conversations with people because we've all been a part of conversations or experiences where we've been comforted by the words. And by the way, let me just say this. You know the little children that run into their parents for, for comfort? You know what? Last time I checked, there have been plenty of nights that you and me have tossed and turned in bed because we were concerned about something. W.H. Auden says we're just children. Adults are just children afraid of night. Same thing. Same thing. We don't necessarily have anybody to run to and say, hey, listen, can you just tell me it's okay? Well, we have those same aches. But be assured that there'll be a day when everything is okay. Please take this message to your neighbors who are already receiving the signals, already receiving the beeps, and they may not even recognize them. Listen to their story. Listen to what happens and show them where those beeps lead.